Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. You're tuned into Queering the Air, listeners. I'm Iris in the studio. I'm joined here today with Asya. Hello. Nice to be back. Nice to have you. And that song was Janelle Monet featuring Eric Badu, and it was Queen. Um, and yeah, I'm sure a lot of people know the news about Janelle Monet coming out recently, and that's and congrats to her. Um, s- first, I'm going to start with an acknowledgement of country. 3CR broadcasts over the lands of the Kulin Nations. These lands are unceded. They're the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples. Indigenous sovereignty has never been ceded. Genocide is ongoing. Um, and yeah, I'd like to pay my respects to Indigenous elders past, present and, fu- and future. And I'd like to acknowledge um, any Indigenous people listening today. Um, yeah, we saw, also saw in the weekend a big rally in Sydney um, in relation to deaths in custody. Um, and we know... And it is Mother's Day, and we know there's a shockingly high amount of um, mothers in prison, particularly Indigenous mothers, because of the processes of colonisation and genocide continue in the institution of the prison. Um, Yeah. What else are you thinking about on Mother's Day, Asya? What am I thinking about on Mother's Day? Um, Gosh, I don't know. To be honest, not much. I'm Polish and Mother Mother's Day in Poland is not until the twenty sixth of May, so I haven't really been thinking about it yet. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's definitely not a day that's celebrated by everyone. Um, so for t- today, we're like the main feature of today. I'm interviewing Asya and. Uh, and Tima about their zine Wild Tongue, which is a zine that um, I can't even know. I think I, zine is the right way to pronounce that. I'm I'm terrible at that. Yeah, I think it's meant to be like short of magazine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they're doing it a zine that's launching very soon. I'm gonna yeah interview them, and the zine covers a lot of issues in, in relation to the arts industry and creative endeavors in terms of exploitation and the difficulties of in terms of unpaid labor yeah and that's coming up um so stay tuned for that and you're tuned to Crania on 3cr community radio um i'm iris and i'm joined with azir and and also um can you hear us timo yes yep Cool. Hi, Tima. Hello. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, yeah. Thanks for having me on today. No worries. Um, so just a way, by way of a little introduction, Tima Ball and Asia Kozinta uh, have, collab- uh, have been working collaboratively, collaboratively, <laughs> collaboratively since 2015 on producing zines, including Wild Tongue and events. One of their most significant achievements to date has been remaining good friends despite the alienating, alienating forces of neoliberalism 
and the constant pressure of navigating the intersection of arts and activism while trying to maintain their integrity. Azra and Tima have day jobs. <laughs> yes. That's How true. do you feel about our achievement, Tima? Oh, um, yeah, achievement is such a funny thing, I think, because <laughs> sometimes the exhaustion of achieving something makes you forget that you've achieved something, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like, especially in the last week, it, it does make a lot of sense. Absolutely. But that said, we're really surrounded by people constantly doing brilliant things and I think there's a huge amount of pressure when you're constantly seeing other people producing. It almost feels like you can't step away. Yeah, and that constant kind of feeling that you're not doing enough, even though all you've done in the last four months has been working and working and working, but there's this constant kind of pressure that I should be doing more, I should be putting stuff out there, I should be kind of, yeah, constantly Absolutely. exerting myself to do more. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I meant when I wrote about the alienating forces of neoliberalism and how there's this kind of constant pressure to produce. But what um, what do we miss out on while we do it? You know, that's why I guess that reflection of uh, on trying to maintain a friendship while um, yeah being under that pressure came to mind. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And I think for me sometimes even just the enjoyment of engaging with art and culture. I think sometimes when you're making and doing so much, I almost forget that it used to be, it used to just feel really refreshing and exciting and amazing to go and see different events and visit galleries. But it's amazing how sort of the more you do, the less you actually see things and you kind of go oh maybe I shouldn't have a practice because then I'd actually see really amazing art all the time yeah I think you're right yeah yeah and um, yeah I just remember our conversation from a couple of days ago how almost the magic of seeing art is um, yeah it kind of loses the the magical element when you see how it works and when you see, um, uh, yeah, how much labor and often very kind of unglamour, unglamorous labor goes into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of, sort of our project, what we're doing at the moment with Next Wave, something that I thought was really quite special and interesting is that our first making workshop last Wednesday, the conversations we were having around how working in the arts or doing arts work is almost 80 or 90% admin. Like there's just so much organizing and administrative tasks that go into it. That's actually really amazing to sit down and make zines and <laughs> cut things out and have fun and do something creative because so often when I think of the projects I'm doing, the main thing I think about is 
the frantic emailing, <laughs> writing yep. budgets, at looking at grants, calling mm. people up, making sure the venue's booked, all that sort of stuff. It's it's a huge amount of work that goes into it that really isn't creative. Yeah. And I think it's kind of really interesting when we... Sorry, did I interrupt? No, 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 go for it. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting when we chose to engage with that particular form with scene making, I think. Um, kind of, well, my idea behind it was that it's so... You know, we are just so kind of connected to the internet and technology these days. And I wanted almost to take a step back and have that element of tactility and, you know, playing with paper and being kind of present with other zine makers in the room uh, yeah. and it's just incredible how little of that that there was um, in the project and how much it actually was dependent on yeah being on the internet and kind Absolutely. of promoting Absolutely. the zine or organizing stuff with collaborators online mm-hmm. yeah mm. no absolutely it's a it's, it's a fascinating process um, to go through the idea of trying to come up, coming up with a project, deciding you want to do a zine. And I agree. I initially thought, yeah, I would just be cutting and pasting and writing and drawing <laughs> and doing all this zine making until we got a really good one that we wanted to um, share publicly. But really, you sort of just have to jump into imagining a final product and going into the kind of call for submissions and then just following up people. And, yeah, it really is a very online-based project Mm. in a way. Yeah. And at times it did feel a little bit alienating. Yeah, Um, for sure, for sure. There's definitely... Yeah, I mean, I think it's also that pressure of, I mean, zining, the kind of, that whole idea of doing a sort of in-your-bedroom staple copied zine when you're in a festival, there's that pressure of that sort of zine wouldn't be good enough for a festival. So you kind of, like, push yourself to try to do a zine which really is a mini-publication and then if you're aiming for a publication, then, yeah, it becomes a big project line of trying to get really great submissions and finding the right designer, thinking about how it should be printed. And, no, it's definitely really interesting how things change and, yeah, moulding to different pressures, for sure. Totally. Mm. Um yeah. So like in coming up with um this scene and going through the processes and it now being about about to be launched um via the Next Wave Festival, um yeah, I'm wondering about yeah, what's if you like yeah, these like these experiences of of work and unpaid labor, um, sort of as inspired like a zine about like conditions and Lots of stuff around race, gender, and class, and the arts in, in creative areas. Um, yeah, I'm wondering if you could speak more to, yeah, like the, some of the things you touch on in the zine. 
Sure. Yeah, so actually the the process of uh kind of coming up with this uh with this topic that we explore has been really interesting. When we initially applied to Next Wave to do a zine, we kind of had no idea what what topic we want to engage uh engage with. But the further we kind of the more time we spend surrounded by other artists and, um, you know, going to art events, uh, the more we realized how kind of pressing this issue is and how much people talk about, you know, uh, issues around, yeah, unpaid labor, working for exposure, um, you know, feeling marginalized in the arts industry or kind of just not being able to really get your career off the ground because you come from lower socioeconomic class background and you just simply cannot afford to do, you know, a year unpaid internship with a kind of sexy theater company. Um, yeah, and we certainly felt a lot of pressures ourselves as well that made us feel really kind of uncomfortable in this industry kind of stuff around I don't know having to network with people um, yeah with different kind of industry people uh, having to apply for grants from organizations who have really kind of dubious ethics um, yes it was kind of like a mix of um, hearing what other artists tell us and what we increasingly felt that pushed us in this direction yeah no absolutely I think it's just really interesting because I keep on going back to that whole idea of we choose to create or do these sorts of projects you know it comes from a very a position of self-motivation you know no one's forcing you to do it you do it because you want to or you love to, you love doing it. And I think certainly you see that because you sort of get quite attached to what you're doing and seeing, I think, different people's responses to the theme. It is really exciting. But I think for me, yeah, it's almost being cautious of knowing when to stop, knowing when that sense of I want to have some kind of creative practice that I believe in and I love doing, but not then forcing yourself to push yourself to some kind of absolutely crazy, frantic pressure where you believe that this creative project you're doing is so important that, yeah, it it justifies either not working for a couple of months to just put all your energy into it or... Yeah, turning into a quiet, rude, obnoxious, mm. crazy person. Yeah, sacrificing relationships. Yeah, because you're so stressed. And so I think for me it's that balance of I think we choose to do these things because we love it or enjoy it on some level. And it is a choice. We're not forced to have creative pursuits. But I don't know, for me it's just kind of I think sometimes it's hard to get that balance right between oh this is just a really fantastic project I'm doing and it is important on some levels but it's not so important that I should be making myself physically sick or riddled with anxiety 
but you know it's hard because <laughs> you're just suddenly surrounded by people who are putting enormous pressure on themselves yeah absolutely and I think kind of p- part of our idea um, behind creating this zine was to, yeah, almost expose that so many people feel in a similar way. And so often we just don't really get to see it when we go, you know, and see a performance or see like beautiful, I don't know, art exhibition. We just don't get to really see um yeah, the the cost, the, the costs behind it. And not, I'm not talking just about financial costs, but all the kind of, yeah, emotional labor and sacrifices that we make. And, you know, sometimes it can come at the expense of mental or physical health as well. And I really feel like we should talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um and I think in making a zine where we invited artists and people with creative passions to reflect on their work, certainly there was a concern and a sense of we don't want it to be really depressing. We don't want it to be kind of like this platform where everyone just complains and whines about how hard it is or how tired they are. But just being, I think it's just also really nice to sort of be honest about the sacrifices you make, sometimes the risks you take and sometimes even the highs aren't always worth it if, you know, even if you are succeeding but you're constantly tired. Yeah, it's not necessarily, I mean, what is success if you're seen to be producing a lot in a public platform but your own sort of personal well-being is sacrificed for it. Yeah. Mm. Or it's almost like your personal life just merges with your creative practice and you kind of yeah. forget who you are. Absolutely. I certainly have been feeling a little bit like that, kind of sometimes have to sit down and remind myself what I'm about as well and what my yeah. values are and, yeah. you know, the importance of, yeah, the relationships and friendships in my life. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Mm. Um, yeah. Thanks for those contributions. Um, I recently read a piece written by Yasmin Nair entitled Make Art Change the World, Starve the Fallacy of Art as Social Justice. And she mm-hmm. asks a number of important questions, and I'm just going to quote them. We need to stop asking ourselves only, are these projects going to change the world? Instead, we ought to ask, are these projects fair and equitable and just in the way that they treat artists as workers? Do they really advance an understanding of how we might dismantle fundamental forms of inequality? Perhaps more importantly, do they need to? Um, so I'm wondering if you have any thoughts and reflections on that, that on those areas. I think I've already touched on a lot of them. Um, but yeah, I suppose... And also I know like, Timur has written about... Um, you have written about um, unpaid labour and insecure work in the arts industry um, as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, that's I can't. I'm really keen to read the article you mentioned in more detail. It sounds really good, and I think yeah, more and more that's something I find really interesting too. Is I think a lot of art that is founded or fundamentally about 
social justice or protest or campaigning against a social issue, there is sometimes a real irony if the people involved in the project are either not treated well or, you know, are putting crazy expectations on people. And, I mean, I certainly feel like we're all pretty aware of, you know, burnout factor in activist circles. And I think, yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's something important about if you're making art to really try to to advance a cause or protest against something that, you know, isn't good, if you yourself, you know, aren't treating your collaborators ethically or you're just running yourself into, like, shocking exhaustion, it does seem strange. And I think, for me, sometimes another bigger thing, when I look at a lot of that sort of history of, I guess, people protesting against certain things or it's people pulling out of the Sydney Biennale and, you know, just different things that have happened. Often it's really interesting that the people who can protest the most loudly tend to have the most social privileges too. And I think that's something, yeah, to kind of think about too. Mm. Yeah, I think also in a way talking about that is... uh quite ironic given that uh, I think while doing this project I realized how internalized some of the ideas are about kind of the value of artistic labor and um, so at our launch we're going to be talking in detail we're going to be breaking down the the budget um, that um, yeah we developed for this zine project and when you look at it like Tima and I did about 15,000 of unpaid Uh, $15,000 of unpaid labor Mm. ourselves. And we kind of constantly had to call ourselves out for, um, yeah, undervaluing our own labor, but also in a way undervaluing some of the contributors' labor. So so for for this project, we're only able to pay people $100. And we are quite transparent about it from the start. So we kind of encourage people to think about how much labor they are ready to put into this zine for, you know, for, for the payment of um, $100. But then as we progressed with the project, uh, and as we saw like how much more we paid other collaborators such as graphic designer or person who built our website, it was quite kind of stark and, and shocking just the difference in how we valued the artistic labor and how we valued like the non-artistic labor. So I think there is kind of a lot of ref- reflection and um, learning um, for us that comes from this project. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, could you talk about um, the difference made possible from like additional funding that I heard you got for some writers based on New South Wales, um, how that changed, like submissions? Uh, yeah, that was, that was really interesting. So <laughs> uh, while kind of in the middle of this uh, process, we suddenly were informed that extra funding came from New South Wales and we're only able to use it for New South Wales um, 
writers. And given that we don't really have that many connections in New South Wales, we just quickly picked three writers. But that meant that those three were able to be paid uh, $500. Um, and I guess the really interesting thing was that the pieces that we received back were just so much more developed and nuanced and kind of detailed and you know you could tell almost um yeah how much more elaborate the process of uh, developing these pieces was uh, as opposed to the ones that were paid one hundred dollars and it kind of really made us question as well you know uh what kind of amazing writing or what kind of amazing art um will never be, be made because people have to pay their bills and yeah, just cannot make certain sacrifices. Mm. Mm. No, absolutely. And I think for us, there was this immediate sort of reaction of, well, it's just unfair. You can't have some collaborators earning significantly more for doing the same thing. And then as we kind of moved forward and realised sort of the situation we in, we were in, it was just an in- interesting reflection of the fact that I think a lot of the time working in the arts is very random and funding works in ways that can be really unexpected and it seems when you're working alongside bigger institutions, suddenly there's a bit of extra money that needs to be spent, I guess, before the financial year. And I think in some ways there is a lot of random luck and unpredictability. And I think the way that sort of turned out with paying people very different amounts sort of sometimes just reflects. Yeah, it's kind of like a meta-commentary on the arts industry. Yeah, being quite disorganised and random and you think you're going down one path and then suddenly you're going down another path. And you sort of have to be adaptable and almost not get too angry or annoyed by it because I think, yeah, I think sometimes it is just genuinely unfair and unpredictable and the only kind of thing that is constant or is regular is that it is always random. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. that sort of makes sense Mm. and just accepting the randomness of everything. Yep. Mm. Yeah, um, I suppose we've talked a lot about uh, your, your current scene, but I'm also thinking if you have any thoughts on the similarities and differences in producing this this edition of Wild Tongues, which is the volume two, compared to the first one you made. And and if you could tell our listeners a bit about that one, because it's very different to this one. Um. Uh, Yeah. Um, Oh, gosh, it was so long ago. It was like two years ago, I think, that we launched volume one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's very different. I think, for me, one of the big differences is not even in terms of themes. Volume 1 was really looking at intersectional feminism, whereas, obviously, the topic now is kind of sort of the privilege, joys and challenges of having an arts practice. So really different themes. 
But even beyond the different themes, for me, it's just so interesting when you work independently, which we did for Volume 1, versus working within the machinery of the arts as an organisation or an industry. And I think... Yeah, there's just certain, obviously, benefits of being part of a bigger organisation in terms of probably certainly getting more exposure. But I think working independently, well, by nature of being independent, you make all the decisions yourself. And I think, to a certain extent, you are able to say no, or if you are feeling too stressed or too pressured, you can really pull back. Whereas I think there's just more pressure when you're doing something bigger and part of something that has just heavier expectations that Mm. go with it. Yeah, I feel definitely when producing volume one, I felt more in control about where it's going and how it's going and how we engage with people and what we want and don't want to do. Uh, Whereas, yeah, within a bigger festival uh, where we kind of had to be, you know, accountable to the festival as well, sometimes the focus... um, the focus had to be elsewhere. So, for example, yeah, like doing kind of ridiculous amounts of admin or feeling, yeah, almost feeling in a way quite disconnected from the project itself and um, thinking just too much about how it fits within that larger institution. Uh, but, yeah, the benefit for me definitely involved kind of, yeah, greater funding and being actually able to pay people <laughs> more than just, I think we paid people for submission for um, Wild Tongue Volume 1, which, yeah, felt really kind of more like a symbolic payment. And I guess part of the reason why why we wanted to take it a bit further is to be able to to pay people kind of what they deserve. Absolutely. Yeah, but but it does feel in a way like Wild Tongue has become a little bit institutionalized. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I hear those tensions from what you've been talking about today. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting what this sort of zine would look like outside of an institutional context, and what what how that would change. What came out of it? Um, yeah, we might have to reclaim it <laughs> after this is over. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like in a way, uh, there were moments when I um, when I was asking myself, "Is it still a zine?" Actually, like it doesn't look like a zine. Whenever I tell people we make a zine, and then I show them what we made, they're like, "Oh wow! Like that's a really fancy zine." Um, yeah, and I think in some ways we kind of still maintained the spirit of the zine, like kind of talking about you know unpopular topics, especially within this festival. We kind of yeah talk about the things um that we think should change with the arts industry so in that way i think the the spirit of the zine is maintained um as well as like we're really kind of relaxed in in terms of editorial process so pretty much we accepted the submissions that people send us pretty much as they were we didn't really want to censor what people have to say um 
And also, yeah, I think like the quality of submission is, is quite diverse. So some of them literally resemble more like a Facebook rant uh, type of, yeah, type of writing. And some of them are quite, you know, elaborate and, um, yeah, really detailed. So mm -hmm. I think in, in that way, I can see how it remained a zine, but I definitely do have questions about that i don't know what are your thoughts about that Tima? oh yeah no for sure i think it's 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 really interesting i think making a zine as i would see a zine you do feel that it's not going to be good enough so you do feel like you have to make essentially a mini publication um as opposed to something that really does resemble a zine But, I mean, politically or thematically, yeah, 100%, it's a zine. Because it's a, it's a weird topic that people either don't get or want to ignore or find really odd. So I think it really is a zine in so many ways because it is a little mini collection of thoughts that wouldn't really see the light of day if two random people like us hadn't thought of putting it together. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, thank you for that. Um, I'm just going to remind for anyone that's, that's just tuned in, um, you're listening to Quirinia on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris, and I'm talking with Azir and Tima. Um, yeah, I and... Just talking about the stuff about the zine and limitate like the differences between zines and other forms. I was, um, I think like the zine also like touched on how a lot of people are excluded from other publications. And I think, yeah, and it was like quite multimodal in terms of what you could do with this zine. And I think one contributor, I think Jess Knight, wrote about being like facing difficulties and being rejected. A lot of contributors talked about that um so i'm wondering if you could talk about one contribution that's one of the con there's like many contributions that st stood out but if you could talk to one that one um that stood out for you mm -hmm. uh, i'll go first yeah i think immediately what comes to mind i mean there's so many but i really liked leanne lowe's piece because it was a really comical reflection on how you're treated in the industry, particularly literary um, organisations, when you are very much on the periphery, whether you're sort of because you're, you know, not a big name, but at the same time, that awareness of, oh, We need more diverse writers. So you're an Asian-Australian writer. We better contact you. And just the way that I guess if someone emails you, and even if the email is quite rude or blunt or even, you know, racially problematic, you're still sort of meant to be so excited and just so happy that at least someone offered you a gig, even if the gig is problematic or unpaid, you're still just meant to go, oh, wow, sure, I'll just 
give up the next my next weekend and do all this stuff at your mini mini festival with one week's notice. Um, but I think what's great about Leanne Cease is it's it's just really funny mm-hmm. the way they've described all these email accountant uh, email accounts of just mm-hmm. people contacting them in really quite rude and inappropriate ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved how she uses humor in that piece. Uh, yeah, I think like you mentioned, Tima, before, at one point, we we're like, oh, my God, literally every submission is just so depressing. How how can we produce a zine like this? It's just gonna be, um, yeah, um, people are never gonna want to be artists after reading this zine. So yeah, definitely the the bits where people took a, a bit more humorous approach were kind of, um, yeah, a bit of a savior of the mood of the zine. Um, and I really loved that piece as well. But um, another piece that really stood out to me was um, a conversation between uh, Mick Kleppner-Rowe and Romy Fox, who, who are actually all, also next wave artists um, with their collective Embittered Swish. Uh, yeah, so in the piece for Wild Tongue, Mink and Romy kind of talk about, um, yeah, being, uh, being trans and how at times they feel like they have to really milk that identity in order to be to be able to access, um, for example, funding, how they have to write grant applications in a really particular way that really kind of, you know, points out that that they trans rather than, um, you know, focusing on their artistic ideas or, yeah, the, I don't know, aesthetic choices that they're making. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting about kind of... Um, yeah, having that that question whether people are there because they are interested in um, what you want to say on or how you want to say it, or are they there because um, I don't know because of your identity of a certain aspect of your identity, um, which just happens to be kind of popular and sexy at the time. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for those. Um, two contributions. Um, yeah, there's so many in there, and like the, you there's so many. Uh, yeah, so... it was actually a really difficult question because, in a way, yeah. I really love all of them, and all of them speak to me in a different yeah. way. So focusing on one was hard. Yeah, I wish we had time to talk about all of them, but we unfortunately don't. Um, so I think we're coming towards the end of the interview. Um, I'm wondering if. If you, I suppose, you're right in the middle of launching the zine, um, but do you have any plans for after Next Wave, after the launch? Holiday. <laughs> <laughs> just take Friends it easy. times. Yeah. No, no, just kind of, yeah, I mean, I think I hope the zine slowly gets out into the world and... Yeah, I think I definitely hope to have conversations about it post-festival when you're a little less tired mm. and, and in the middle of it. It'll be interesting to reflect. Um, but yeah, certainly just doing smaller, low-key projects. Like I think 
Yeah, doing workshops and actually sort of making just little zines for yourself. All that sort of just more personal creative practice and thinking rather than the pressure of delivering public outcomes. Yeah. And on the other hand, like I think one aspect of this project that I'm really excited about is that now we have this zine, we have this publication, and post Next Wave, it will still be there. So unlike some other um, Next Wave projects, which might be, you know, performances or visual art, uh, the zine will kind of live beyond the festival as well. So I'm really quite interested in that. And um, yeah, how it's going to be distributed, who's going to read it, uh, how will different people engage with it. I find it quite fascinating. I think with our previous zine, we got a few kind of random emails from people um, that we didn't know that kind of came across the zine because someone left it behind in a cafe. So, yeah, for me, this like, um, yeah, how the life of the zine develops post-festival, that's that's quite um, intriguing. And I'm really looking forward to seeing kind of, yeah, where it will take itself. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Mm, yeah, so am I. Um, thank you um, both for your time. Um, wish you the best for the launch with ne- for Wild Tongue. And for listeners, that's on the 19th of May at the South Bank Library from 2 to 4pm. And you can book a spot on the Next Wave website and I'll put up a link on Querying the Air. And there's also a zine making workshop at 5.30pm at the same venue on the 16th of May. So, yeah, so good luck with everything. Um, yeah, thank you, Iris. Yeah, Maybe we should so also much. mention we're going to have a little surprise performance as well at the, uh, at the launch. So, Ooh, surprise. Yeah, well, actually, it's not a surprise anymore. We already said what it was going to be. Um, it's going to be Tanya Kanyas in the character of Regina L. And Regina L. has some great tips for the artists about how to launch your career. So, yeah. Cool. Don't miss out. (laughs) You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.